Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of The School for Dumb Women, the podcast where we try to ignore the impending void by relearning things we originally learnt at 14, but then forgot because breasts happened. Wow. I'm your host woman, Inside Out Training Bra, Hannah Varrell. And joining me is Buys Her Bras from a Special Catalogue, Caroline O'Donoghue. I've got curves and swerves, Hannah. Curves and swerves and lifelong lower back pain. And now only wears bralettes, Alexandra Haddo. I'm basically too hip to wear underwiring now. Soon I hope to be too hip to have bones at all. How unnerving! This week we're talking Tins Tuna, the Tour de France, and cryptic crosswords. So by the end of this podcast, you'll be riding your fish down the mountain while solving a riddle. On with the show! <laughs> so Hannah, you look delicious, low-fat and dolphin-safe. What is up? <laughs> I am dolphin-safe, Alex, thank you. I have never knowingly killed a dolphin. Although, actually, that might not be true. What? <laughs> exactly. Oh, no, what a devastating segue into the no. subject. What a and horrible start. <laughs> we dive into Hannah's holiday horror of 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing Tins Tuna today. Mm. You guys, you guys like tuna? Yeah. It's the only thing I don't like. What? I hate it. Really? I love it. It's awful. It's the only fish I don't like. Blech. It's awful. You're so wrong. Yeah. I've never hated you more. Well, <laughs> and I hate you on the daily. Hate away. <laughs> no, you're categorically wrong, Alex. Um, oh. Yeah, you're outvoted two to one, basically. I'm a, I'm a tuna tuna fan myself. A tuna uh, enthusiast? Tuna enthusiast? <laughs> tuna enthusiast, absolutely. Um, but when you think about it, it's quite strange, because why do we eat tuna in a can, but... Every other fish, you kind of think of it not in a can. Yeah, why don't we eat mackerel from a can? Yeah, we do. Oh, well, we, we I've do. got tinned mackerel in my in my cupboard. Yeah, I bet it's been there for five years, though. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and sardines. Because once yeah. every two and a half years, I'm like, I'll eat sardines yeah. and tomato sauce on toast. Delicious. Never eat them. And anchovies is one of those like canned fish things that you just have in the house to go on things, don't you? Yeah, yeah. but they're all individual fishes. Like, it, it kind of seems okay to put an individual fish into a can, but to take a chunk of a fish... <laughs> no, you're dead right! That is weird! <laughs> and, put it in, and put it in a can. Like, a fish doesn't seem like a tinned good. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, Carl. <laughs> no, yeah, at first I was like, it's fine, Hannah, and now I'm like, you're right, Hannah. <laughs> like, when will they be like, get your tinned scallops? 
Oh, I'm sure you can. I'm sure they do. But you wouldn't get like tin smoked salmon, would you? Well, you can get tin salmon. Well, I guess then tin fish is a thing, Hannah. You've just undone your own point. But no one eats tin salmon. No one's like, oh, can you get me a tin salmon from Tesco while you're there? No one is like, oh, I have tin salmon pasta bake. I think the hallmark of anything that's commonly consumed by the sort of Western shopper, is it in a Tesco extra? Yes. Yeah. yeah you wouldn't right. find a tin salmon in there, but you'd no. fucking find a multi pack of John West. Scallop. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Who was John West? Oh, that's a question I do not know how to answer. So well, I'll answer another question in actually <laughs> Kim and Kanye's recently birthed third child by a son. John! Just, they've gone so weird that they've just gone right back to the most normal name ever. So your question, Alex, was why do they put it in oil? But then sometimes it's brine and sometimes it's spring water. Wasn't yes, it? That was it. Spring water in a can. Yes, yeah, that's good. the best one. The no drain one. Mm, yeah. yeah, exactly. Ooh. So why do they have so many different varieties? I don't know. But what I do know is the reason why they put it in oil, because like tuna's oily anyway, right? It's like a fatty fish. Mm -hmm. So why do they, presumably there's natural oil in it. Why do they need to put extra oil in? What they do is they put extra oil in to make it taste less fishy. Oh. And the reason why they want it to taste less fishy... Is because it stinks. Because it stanks, yeah. Ah, <laughs> no, you like to think, yo. Fish, fish don't stink. <laughs> Take a tuna can of tuna. Uh, Guys, I find that song very triggering. <laughs> why? Caroline! Like, oh, my yeah, entire adolescence was just, It was horrible. Yeah, so that's, that's my fish oil fact. People didn't want to eat tuna with tuna oil... Because it's too fishy, like, mm, it's kind of gross. And the whole point of Tins Tuna was that pretty much was invented uh, in the First World War to deliver protein cheaply to troops. Mm, love a war oh. fact, me. Yeah, exactly. Love a this thing happened because of a war fact. That's yeah. a real bingo card. Well, this Classic. was in America as well, in, in, so in World War One in America. And there was a company that basically decided that they needed to get tuna like to the troops and so what they did was they took out the fish oil and they put like olive oil or something in it and then it tasted almost a bit like chicken and so they were like okay this is tuna chicken of the sea (laughs) oh the famous jessica simpson line that like yeah that's it what what do you know there was like do you remember jessica simpson she thought that tuna was chicken because it was called chicken of the sea yeah and it was like it followed her around for like a decade so that was kind of where like the chicken thing came from I guess and that's kind of where tuna got its big break was being cheap protein for troops um, although canning had actually been invented in 1795 oh. um, and the way they do it actually by John Can <laughs> by Nicolas Appel oh. a French man sexy mm. yeah, he sounds like he's gotten his dick wet doesn't he oh he definitely did in a can of tuna Ming. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and the reason why it was so good as well is because it keeps for long. It doesn't spoil. Um, it could keep for like years and years and then you can open it and it'll still be fresh and good because it's cooked twice. <gasps> why? Come so again. you cook the tuna before it goes into the can. Mm-hmm. And then once it's in the can and the can's all sealed up, the cans all go into a big cooker and they all get cooked again. It's called retort cooking. Oh, how like do they make it all mushed? Tuna. Do they just have like an army of people with forks? Oh, it's horrible. Basically. Oh, really? Ooh. So they um, 
they catch the fish and then they'll kind of like chop the head and tail off and gut it wherever it was caught, you know, a processing plant. Um, and then it might get canned somewhere else. And if it is, then it'll get like frozen and then taken over to that place and then defrosted. And then they kind of chop it into bits and feed it into this horrible ditch. And then, and then the ditch is kind of a conveyor belt and like puts it all into cans. And there's an incredible YouTube video of this all happening with some really, really jazzy music in the background. <laughs> but there's no talking at all. It's just literally like... The sort of stuff you end up watching after a YouTube binge at like three in the morning after a night out with your takeaway being like, Yeah, yeah. This is mad. (laughs) (laughs) This is crazy. It's 10 minutes long, but worth watching, I think. Mm. Um, But, you know, it all looks very sanitized and clean and fine. So they kind of put it in this ditch and then it goes along into the cans and then there's the whole can machinery, which looks fascinating. Uh, What about the sort of global reserves of tuna? They're kind of in decline, aren't they? That's something I see people worrying about online a lot. Yeah, Yes, definitely. Um, So there is a big decline of tuna because they don't know how to... They can farm tuna, but when they farm tuna, they just get young tuna and put them in a farm. So they get the young tuna from the wild and put them in the farm. They just hijack tuna. Yeah, no one's worked out. They just kidnap them. No one's worked out how to, like, grow... like How to make them breed? Make them breed, basically. Get the tuna eggs. But surely you just keep them for a long time. They lay the eggs. They fertilise the eggs. Yeah, I have... Tuna appears. I don't know. Maybe it's a dirty protest, though. You know, like, killer whales rarely breed in the wild. In, in, in captivity, captivity yeah. Oh. Like, this isn't sexy. <laughs> I don't know. There's a load of problems with uh, overfishing as well because everyone loves tuna. Tuna's like... It's really... delicious, as we stated yeah, earlier. Exactly. It's yeah. delicious, popular fish, especially in Japan, where the bluefin tuna, because there are different types of tuna, mm-hmm. guys, different species I've of tuna. I've heard of bluefin tuna. Mm. Yeah, so bluefin tuna is like the biggest kind of meatiest tastiest one they're, they're huge as well tuna they're aren't massive they? mm. and they love it in japan for like sushi and things like that um and there's a, a whole thing there's like a global quota of how many bluefin tuna you can catch in a year and japan's like exceeds it quite a lot and things like that um Come and then japan. the other big problem with catching tuna is dolphins because you always see like dolphin friendly logo yeah what's right? that about and that's because often uh fishers fishermen fisher people Fishermen and women will... Um, the fish workers. <laughs> um, yeah, they'll catch the fish by putting a huge net out, basically. And the problem is, or used to be, that dolphins would get caught in the nets mm. as well. Now that's my then either. Well, exactly. and because dolphins have to come up to the water, to the air to breathe, if they got caught in a net, they would be basically drowned. So that was like a really huge thing. And that was like a very big proportion of what these fishermen would catch fisher people would catch that ended up being like dolphins or like random other fish and stuff like that. So how do you go about making it dolphin safe then? I was going to say that, yeah. Seems virtually impossible. Yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot, there's quite a lot online about like, can you ever be 100% dolphin safe? And the answer is like, probably not because... You can never know that, like, a dolphin's not going to jump in there. Yeah. I think some fishermen, like, like sort of herd them out. Like, they'll literally kind of stand at the net and be like, oh, dolphin. Back you go. <laughs> Up it goes. Yeah, One I, dolphin's like, I'm pretending to be a tuna. <laughs> I just want to see what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it tells you a lot about humans in general. The fact that we're, like, minced down chickens by the fucking billions. Yeah. But um, when it comes to, like, a dolphin who we have a feeling about might be smart, 
or than us even uh, were like no 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 this is the special one this is yeah. the chosen yeah. yeah this is a little bit too human so, yeah exactly uh, you can't eat this one there are companies that do catch tuna through like you know pole and line and like kind of old school but obviously it takes so much longer mm. and um and then it makes the tuna more expensive because more time and manpower more people. is going yeah. into it. So obviously the tuna uh, capitalism is going to be more expensive. Um, and just just to finish off, how many cans of tuna do you think you can get out of one tuna <gasps> Ooh, fish? Sixty. No more. More than sixty. Um, one hundred and sixty. <laughs> Seventy-nine. Oh. Interesting. Well, okay, so there's different species of tuna, as I said. They mm-hmm. range from skipjack, which is quite small, to a bluefin, which is rather large. Oh. Um, and skipjack is generally what we get in tins. Oh, I see. Uh, oh, see, I was going by the big tunas that I saw in a Japanese fish market. Okay, okay. Well, I was going by Blue Planet. But then the size of the fish themselves, obviously, you know, the age at which you catch them makes a difference to mm-hmm. what size they are and everything. So it varies quite a lot. So one answer on Cora said... Depending on the size of the tuna, you would get somewhere between 20 and 180 cans. So we were both right. But for the purposes of having just one number that I can measure your scores against, uh, I've decided to go with Kathleen's answer. Kathleen Kathleen from Cora. Kathleen. Simply said, 100 cans. <laughs> so, a nice round yeah, 100. Around 100. God, you, isn't Kathleen. God a genius for making a fish that makes exactly 100 cans of tuna? So I think, Alex, you were closer. Oh, I shut up. Was. I was definitely closer. What, 100? I've seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and there was loads of tunas in that. Void. This week in The Woman Who Code Mixer, we're making all of our listeners load 100 quid onto one of our special mixer cards. It's super simple. All you have to do is download the app, scan your passport, recite a poem in French and invite all of your friends. I'm sure as hell going to be doing it. Oh yeah, it's the only way to budget. So today in the Women Who Code Mixer, we're going to learn all about fintech. Hannah, we already argued about what we call fisher people. You can't just do tuna again. This is the Women Who Code Mixer. Caroline, there's no limit to how fascinating tuna is. But this is fintech. Is it similar to finair? Like, is it of the Finnish people? Uh, the Finnish people use it, but it is not of the Finnish people. Fin actually stands for financial. Oh, I thought it might be what French people say when their technology is over. <laughs> Fantech. 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 <laughs> so fintech is technology and innovation that aims to compete with traditional financial methods, i.e. banks, in the delivery of financial services. So it's companies using smartphones and the internet to make banking and financial stuff more accessible to the general public. And that's me and you, Alex. Oh, so essentially this fintech is things that dads don't trust. Yes. Yes. Yeah. See also Airbnb and booking flights online. Yes. Yeah, so for example, Apple Pay, Android Pay, if you're me, uh, Monzo... You guys have Monzo? Oh my God, lads, don't talk to me about Monzo. People that have Monzo act as if they've cured cancer. I have Monzo, guys. 
It's currently the biggest problem in my relationship that Gavin has Monzo and I do not have Monzo. It's like he's become a Jehovah's Witness and I'm still like <laughs> living my godless life. And he's like, no, you have to. Have you heard about Monzo? Have you been saved yet? Are you saving yet? <laughs> so the whole thing about Monzo is that it's like a prepaid debit card. You load some money onto it from your normal bank account and then you can pay for stuff using the contactless card that they give you, which is bright orange, which is really cool. It's not like other banks. Right. And then it updates your app straight away to tell you how much you spent and in what domain you've spent it. So if you spent it on entertainment or groceries. Yeah, so what most people do is they set like a... They have all their bills coming out of their bank account, obviously, as normal. But they'll set themselves like, oh, I can only spend £100 on like, you know, eating out and whatever this this week. And so they have a, a good idea of how much they're actually spending on like frivolous crap the way you do. Yeah, you it's know? like pocket money. Yeah. I do get it. I just feel like I would be more depressed because I wouldn't change my habits and then I... I'd know how much I spent on crap. I feel <laughs> precisely the same way. Do you know you are mean? my soul sister. I'd rather sort of live in vague ignorance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah, Monzo is an example of a fintech company, um, but there are loads of others. I'm going to name a few and you have to guess if they are real or fictional. Oh, okay. Ooh. I love this game. Okay. Games. Okay. Chip links to your bank account and tells you how much you can save each month. I recently did an article on stuff like this and I didn't see that one so I'm going to oh. say fake. I'm going to say fake also partially because of Alex and partially because chip sounds too obvious and it's not like the first thing you'd make up if you were looking to make something up. It's real. Oh, oh I did not research that properly. Next one. Curve for women. Merges your bank accounts into one card and you pay via your smartphone and pick on your smartphone which card you want it to come out of. Why is that female? Because you made it up? Sounds real though. <laughs> Does sound real. I would use it's actually real. It's just not for women. It's oh. for everyone. Oh, oh, there you go. Trick. You're a tricky, mm, tricky trick lady. Tricky yeah. trickster. Uh, Bud. It's a money platform. You feed in data from all your different accounts and it keeps track of them. Yes, that's real. True. Yeah. Obvi- obviously, you said someone it. made an app called Bud. Hey, I'm your Bud. Bud. I'm going to help you save. All of them are real. All of the ones that I was going to tell you about are real because I couldn't make up anything that sounded more ridiculous. So those are all fintech companies. There you go. And uh, fintech has basically exploded in the last couple of years. Everyone was like, no, that's not going to be a thing. People trust banks, don't they? People love banks. People love banks. Love a good bank. Banks have been so good to the world's economy. Yeah. (laughs) And everyone's like really shocked that all of these millennials are going with Monzo and everything, going mad for it. But it's just because we're not particularly interested in banks. We're like, oh, I can see exactly how much I've spent on my Pret lunch tuna sandwich. Yeah. And also these fintech companies, the ones I've encountered anyway, they don't seem so concerned about putting your life on this weird track the way that other that yeah, popper banks do. They're yeah. not all in that fucking shady mortgage game and trying to convince you with pamphlets of women on stepladders that you have to buy a house. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. they're not sending you emails being like, we could loan you £10,000 yeah. and you're like, stop it. Everything about banks feels evil. They're doing nothing to try and quell their evil... Shit, they got Top Cat. He's a gangster. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so at the moment, um, as well, all of these companies are losing loads of money because they're not, they've not worked out a way to make money yet. So it's like when you get a really good new app and you're like, this is fantastic. And then after like a year, they're like, we're going to put ads on now. And you're like, mm. no, 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 no. <laughs> I deserve free things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, eventually, I don't know, they'll find a way to make money potentially by giving people loans and things like that. But the good news is um, lots of people do want to like invest in them and stuff like that. So they're still going for now. Also, mm. if you have a nice thing that you enjoy and then somehow 
down the line there's an ad on it, you should just think... Yeah, there's nothing wrong with ads. <laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with ads. Even if the thing that you used to enjoy with no ads suddenly has ads, it's yeah. fine. Even if We're the people making the fun thing realised maybe they couldn't afford to fully make it without any ads. Yeah. So they put some ads on it. And that's, you know, reliable for many things. Yes. Fintech companies, yeah, no, podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The Dumb Women Fintech app is going to be launching in the summer. Yeah. Um, it drains your bank account for you every week so that you don't have to. Oh. Yeah. That's nice. It drains your bank account into our bank accounts. Yes. Yeah. But you'll have such a good podcast. <laughs> Yay. That's a joke because you already have a great podcast. Alex, you're wearing a tiny hat and your veins are showing through your T-shirt. Are you Okay. Why, yes, that's because I've gone very method actor for my segment this week, mm. which is on the Tour de France. Oh, ha, ha. I highly recommend that even after this very, very small snippet about the Tour de France, that you all go and read about the Tour de France, because it is a saga, guys. How long do you think it's been going? Um, 50 years? 60? 115 <gasps> years. That's a bloody long time. Wow. One of the most interesting things, apart from all the drugs, was the reason why it started. Anyone want to hazard a guess? You won't get it, but it might make for some entertaining guesses. Oh, a man said that he could cycle better than his friend, and his friend was like, no, you can't. And then his friend, he was Ooh. like, I could cycle the whole of France. He was like, no, you can't. Well, I could do it better. And then they cycled the whole yeah. of France. Was it something to do with, like... Mapping France, making a map of the roads in France. You've both, they're, they're both actually really excellent guesses. And um, Hannah, at first I was going to say, oh no, you're completely wrong. But in a way it was just two guys swinging their dicks around. Yay. But <laughs> it wasn't quite the same. It was done to sell newspapers. Oh. Mm. There was two cycling sports newspapers in, in France in the early 20th century. There was Le Villot which is the bike, I believe, mm -hmm. in French. Le Velo. Le Velo, sorry. And then this new paper started called Le Otto, like L apostrophe A-U-T-O. Yeah. So Le Otto was um, the kind of slightly younger paper and they wanted to take on the readership of Le Velo. So they were like, what can we do? We need to put on some sort of massive event that only we can cover mm. so that people start buying our paper because they'll really want to know what's going on so like one of the youngest members of the team like the intern was like why don't we stage a huge bike ride all around France and there'll be different stages and it'll go on for originally that the first one took like three months I think because it was like a stage and then a week's rest and they used to have cigarettes before they went up the steep bits because oh, they thought it did. opened the lungs oh, wow <laughs> um the past day eh? yeah I know right and so the the board of directors were like said yeah do it and the paper's circulation increased year on year and it became massive very quickly and this huge thing. And it's only ever not run when the First and Second World War were on. Oh, and then Le Velo went bust in like 1913. Mm -hmm. because but why? So the Velo, Velo in French means bicycle and yeah. auto means car. Yeah. But it was the car. I think they the were. The car newspaper that staged the first bicycle tour. Yes, but I don't know. If, I think they were both sports newspapers. Ah. I don't, but I, th I think cycling was just very popular. Um, and, and what I also love about the Tour de France, I mean, what do you think of when you think of the Tour de France? 
of like in modern the times. The yellow vest. Yeah, the yellow jersey, which is given to the the overall leader. So you wear that when you're in the lead, and then if you if you drop out of the lead after a certain stage, because your time is basically. It's very complicated, but there's a lot of stages and it goes all around France. And Caroline, that's why you had a great point, is because lots of people at the start of the 20th century didn't know what France looked like, you know, poor people and stuff. Mm -hmm. But then in the paper, because they had to map out the route, poorer people began to see what their country looked like. Yeah, because France is pretty huge. Yeah, it's massive, yeah. Um, But what I sort of love slash is really depressing about the Tour de France is that cheating, as with the whole Lance Armstrong scandal... Mm -hmm. Cheating has been in it since the very start because it's so impossible to do. I mean, it's the the absolute pinnacle of human endeavour. It's insane, this strain this puts on these, these guys' bodies. Yeah, because they're going up like mountains and stuff, aren't they? Like, yeah. It's really silly and they're doing it for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And um, good friend of the show slash slight acquaintance, David O'Doherty, comedian and huge fan of cycling and the Tour de France and uh, the School for Dumb Women maybe a huge fan of the School for Dumb Women does not stop going on about it um, yeah so I, I knew I knew that he was a huge cycling enthusiast and he loves the Tour well loved the Tour de France he has a very lovely song about how Lance Armstrong ruined his life when all of the, his drug accusations Aww. were revealed to be true so I was talking to him about this because I thought he might have some, have some inside info our man on the inside ah oh, yes uh, I said, uh, "Do you have any? Do you have any great facts?" And he said, "Yes. Um, I used to think that BYOB meant be your own boss." <laughs> and I said, "No what? facts about the Tour de France." <laughs> Party, eight p.m. Be your own boss. I will. I'll leave when I want to. Um, but he was saying, and obviously, I have to keep saying allegedly. The, I mean, loads of cyclists have been proved to be on drugs on the Tour de France mm-hmm. because you cannot cycle constantly for 23 days up mountains at record-breaking speed for 12 hours a day and be fine. Yeah. So shouldn't that absolve Lance Armstrong for being a mad druggie then? No, because they're still illegal because you can't say, oh, take as many drugs as you want in any, you know, in sport. Oh, that'd be quite fun though. I know, yeah. yeah it I would mean, be quite fun. Dangerous could... for those involved. Yeah, it would like... really make an extreme sport I then mean... if you're on fucking smack the whole time. Yeah, all of the top cyclists are under suspicion all of the time and the, a lot of people believe that essentially they're all on some sort of performance-enhancing drug. Mm. I mean, the reason why Armstrong got away with it for so long, apart from his vicious intimidation and absolute incomprehensible lack of moral character, <laughs> was the fact that, that blood doping you can't test. So blood doping is where you put, literally take your blood out, put loads more oxygen into it, and then pump it back into your body. How long does that last then? Um, well, you do it, it on the like all day. Then. Yeah, you do it on the day, so your blood can absorb. Your blood has way more oxygen in it, and so when you're up a mountain and the air's thinner, you don't suffer as much. So it's not a drug. It's not a drug, but it's doping. Yeah, you're t- you're making unnatural additions. I mean, you're literally taking oh, pints of your own blood out. That's, oh, that's really weird. And so being, you know, weird. probably lightheaded as well. Maybe not these guys because they're top athletes, and then pumping it back into your body. Yeah. So and essentially, um, and they do this because it's so hard on the body. And now because there's so much at stake, because the prize money is like half a million dollars. Um, I did love that in 1973 the the prize was an apartment. Oh, <laughs> where? It was just like sponsored by like for a few years the prize was like you got your own apartment and it was um, like for the winner, um, and it was like donated by like you know a huge 
real estate company or something. Oh. Which you was think nice. they gave it to the next person the next year and they were like, ugh, Lance has terrible taste in curtains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's drugs everywhere here, but Lance isn't on them. It's very like in the Hunger Games when if you win, you get to live in the victor's village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically that. But so also, this was a brilliant uh, fact which uh, David uh, sent to me. Um, so in, uh, in 1910... The stage winner, Octave Lapise, took a staggering 14 hours and 10 minutes to complete the course. Like one of the stages, not the whole thing. Yeah. Not cycling around France. Um, but rather than his post-victory reaction, it is his comments after reaching the summit of the final climb, the Obisque, that made it into tour history. When one reporter shouted at him what he thought of the Pyrenees, he pedalled past. Lapise yelled back, Murderers, you're all murderers. Because the Ooh. race was so tough. Mm. And that's a, apparently a really famous quote about the Tour de France. So essentially, I don't know why people do it, because it it's absolutely crazy. But do you want to hear some ways in which people have cheated? Yeah, Sure. Um, Body doubles? Ooh! I would do that. Well, um, also, David was telling me that recently there's even been, apart from all the drugs and the blood doping and the fact that probably everybody's on it and therefore it probably is a level playing field, basically the the bigger athlete you are, the better drugs you can get that are untestable. And so then it creates an unfit even thing yeah. again. Anyway, there's even an investigation about to happen or going on at the moment that some of the bikes have tiny motors in them. <laughs> Like tiny engines to like help propel them when they get really tired. Surely they thoroughly investigate the bikes, though. Oh yeah, but they thoroughly everyone the same. They thoroughly they tested Lance Armstrong like day in day out, but they were like. That's what his so thing it's like was. In cycling, any like slight edge, like yeah. even if you've got like a mouse in your hat that whispers secrets to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're in a team yeah. of a dozen or so people around I guess, that. Yeah, around that, and um, you've got it's always men, right? Pretty much. I yeah, don't think women there is do a, it. There is a Tour de France for women. Right. But that it was only started many years later. But you essentially you got your lad in front, and then uh, you've got like a sort of a um a, a like a bird triangle yes. migration so pattern yeah. sort of going there and they kind of break the air kind of thing and they, they yeah. go as a team they go as a team so you would be out in front say if we were on a team and you're you're basically taking my wind for me so it's oh. it's easier it's nice it's usually I'm blowing some wind back at Hannah <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you're yeah you're taking more resistance basically so our ride is easier at that point and then you get knackered and then you drop back and then I go into the front yeah. and I so like birds hit. literally like birds yeah yeah essentially okay okay I'm fine with that so um um, then, like, is there bedtimes? <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you, they have a couple of rest days in between it. It used to be like two weeks. In the olden days, it'd be like you'd have two weeks off and then do the next stage. But now, because it's such an endurance race, they have um, a couple of rest days within it. But they usually, I was reading, most of the athletes don't totally rest on those days because otherwise they'd seize up. Oh, so yeah. they have to go for like a two-hour bike ride just to keep their muscles oh like, my going. Oh, God. Yeah, it's You'd insane. think they'd be watching Chef's Table or something. Exactly. <laughs> like, Enjoying France, they're maybe. They're probably too busy fucking doping themselves up to the eyeballs. My but, goodness. Um, but this is the other thing as well. Like All these drugs are so new and so innovative, but they also don't know the long-term effects. So like oh, these gosh. guys could all keel over and die at like 50. Fucking hell. Because their hearts are... And to them it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, Lance Armstrong had cancer. Yeah. However many times. From, not from the drugs, though. Well, the rumour... Oh, is that the... The rumour is... No. ...that taking all those drugs might have triggered 
his cancer. Wow. But or made him resistant to dying from cancer, which he probably should have. Yeah, I mean... He, I mean, no one should die of cancer, no, but Jimmy's had a lot of yeah, times, yeah. 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 He's had it loads of times and it was it was stage three and it was like he had absolutely no chance of recovering, basically. And then he came back. And, and there's a brilliant, brilliant film, which everybody should watch, where Chris O'Dowd plays um, this Irish journalist who was on Lance Armstrong in real life for years and years and years. He knew he was taking drugs. He knew that he was bribing everybody. He knew that he was suing anybody that started by mouthing him. He knew he was bribing officials. And it's absolutely brilliant. And it, it, basically... Uh, it shows that he had to admit that he'd already been doping when he first got diagnosed with cancer because they had to say, like, is there oh, anything in your system that... Oh, so, like, shit. if you go to a hospital and you're like, oh, I didn't yeah, take exactly, yeah. drugs. Right. And they're like, well, we have to know what you took in order to... Yeah, but honestly, watch it. Um, anyway, so he's a massive cheater, but basically they were all massive cheaters, but because he won it seven times and he was always like, I didn't, I, I don't take drugs... Everyone was absolutely, you know, so many people's hearts were broken because he defeated cancer and he was this thing. I mean, he did that whole live strong armband thing. Oh, yeah. Um, that was huge, the armband thing. Yeah. What, he invented them? Yeah. Oh. To be like, oh, yeah, well, I've defeated cancer and beaten and won the Tour de France seven times. It's like, yeah, because you're on loads of drugs. <laughs> um, anyway, do you want to round off with some cheating? Yeah. Here's the top ways that people have cheated on the Tour de France. Cool. Uh, one guy back at, in the very much the olden days uh, had hidden some uh, water bottles with lead in the bottom that he then tied to his bike so that on the way down the mountain he was heavier and he went down faster. Um, one man in 1904, only the second year of the race, was disqualified because he took a train <laughs> between <What>? stages. <laughs> Because I guess there wasn't like as much media and stuff there. Well, yeah, there was no... I suppose you could have easily cheated back in the day. Yeah, yeah, just like skip a bit. Yeah, um, or people used to pass pints to each other um, because they thought that alcohol like gave you loads of energy and sped you up. Mm, yeah, okay. um, for a short while it would anyway, wouldn't it? It kind of stops you feeling the pain of your legs, I guess. Yeah, and yeah. also drank alcohol t- during the race to numb the pain. Um, in the ultimate act of sort of not really irony, but you know. If only they knew what was coming. Alcohol consumption was soon banned from the race because it was considered a stimulant. (laughs) Don't worry about everything else that people are going to pump in in the next 50 years. (laughs) So why do people love it so much? Why do people, like, crowd around to see a group of cyclists whiz past for five seconds? Like, what's the appeal? I just don't see it. I don't hugely know, to be honest. I think once you understand the endurance of it and the fact that everybody's probably on something, it's quite interesting to watch and once you know the tactics like you say of the per- the peloton and the person in the front taking the taking the heat if you like and then you know the next person coming in it's quite mm. interesting I, I couldn't I couldn't be bothered to go and watch it but three and a half billion people watch it every year it's the most watched wow, sporting that's event that's crazy I don't know a single one of them yeah <laughs> I don't Same. know anybody who gives yeah. a shit apart from David O'Doherty friend of the podcast friend of the podcast hello <laughs> David <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So Caroline, nothing you've said today has made any fucking sense. What gives? (laughs) Well, Hannah, uh, you might know this about me, but I really enjoy a crossword. And every time I'm going in and out of London on the train, I like to grab the evening standard and do the crossword close to the back of the newspaper. And I do the quick crossword and I feel really proud of myself if I can finish it by the time I get home. And I feel really, really, really proud of myself up until the point where I look to the other side of the page and I see the cryptic crosswords. Oh, no. And like... You guys might be familiar with the TV show Twin Peaks, where there's a very famous scene where one of the main characters is in like a dream sequence and there's basically this dwarf walks into the room and starts talking backwards. Yes. And that's how I feel every time I look at a cryptic crossword. It's a dwarf talking backwards at me. Yeah. And I feel like, how on earth can anyone understand what this is? And I don't understand how like shitty newspapers that do like stories about where Rose Huntington Whiteley had brunch that day could also have like this really highbrow intellectual challenge in it that I don't understand at all. But you know the weird thing so my granddad used to do cryptic crosswords. Yeah. The weird thing about them is and I'm totally the same as you I don't Mm. don't understand once you start to understand their way of thinking you start to understand it. Yeah. So if you if you look at it sort of blind and you're like, oh, I like puzzles. I can do word games. Yeah. I can do this. Um, it's like complete gibberish. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but then I looked into it today, being like, okay, what what? How do you? What is a cryptic crossword? What is the? Um, how do you code break it? Yeah. Um, and like you might have remembered in that film, The Imitation Game, uh, which is about Alan Turing and the Bletchley Park code breakers, mm. yeah. and that's actually how they recruited people was via cryptic crosswords in the Telegraph. Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah. And there was like a thing that was like, if you can do this crossword in 12 minutes or less, please um, send it in to this address. And that's how they recruited many of their people because it's wow. it shows a kind of... Um, like a pattern spotting. Pa- exactly. It's pattern spotting. And that's, see, essentially that's what's hidden in all these cryptic crosswords clues is that there um, there's a code w- hidden within cryptic crosswords that is not explicit but as soon as you can guess it you can pick it apart and it doesn't make it necessarily easier but it makes it doable yeah and is it the same code for like all of the clues in the same crossword see it's kind of an unofficial code so there's so many things hidden within a cryptic crossword puzzle there's like anagrams um there's like you know you have to read every second letter of a word and then you'll get the answer um, there's all kinds of ways and they have different ways of indicating to their readers what they want their reader to do, and um, which I never really understood before. So, for example, um, I looked at a clue today and I, it made no sense to me whatsoever. It said, snakes and their associates decapitated six letters. Okay. 
Give what do you think? Here. Okay, some kind of headless snake family. <laughs> uh, too literal, Hannah. It's too <laughs> literal. Snakes are decapitated, so it doesn't have capital letters. <gasps> uh, capital city that look that sounds like a type of snake. See, uh, see, that's the thing with crypto. You can literally, you know that there is a riddle in there somewhere, but you could spend all day not knowing which part of the riddle you're supposed to be looking at. You know what I mean? Yeah. Adders. <gasps> yes. What? You, you got it. Yeah. You're a genius. Oh my God, Alex. I am a genius. <laughs> so let's, like for everyone who didn't get it at home, um, this is what you come to. So... I feel like I've just been handed my letter for Hogwarts. Yeah, that you have. You fucking have. You're a genius. <laughs> I don't get why it's adders. Okay, let's. I'll, I'll, to be honest, I'll go I don't it. really. But I know that the L has been chopped off ladders, and I thought snakes and ladders. Yeah, that's exactly it. You got it, mate. That's exactly it. <gasps> but I thought of adders and then worked my explanation back from ad, the fact oh. that adders were well, six still letters. Good. Still fine. So the the word decapitated is to symbolize to indicate to the the solver that you either chop something off the beginning or the end. Right. Of, of the clue, snakes. Snakes is the thing that you you're you're trying to figure out. Another another term for snakes or a word associated with snakes. Associates. You're right. Ladders. You know it, they they kind of wanted to fool you and think like oh snakes and snakes and people. Snakes and people. <laughs> I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not quite. Uh... But the the point is that you they use the word words like decapitated and they understand that their cryptic crossword fan people know that that is a directive. That's some, They're telling them to do something. See, I wouldn't have known that No, see, all. No, me neither. And there's all kinds of words they use. So, for example, if they said, um, holy sausage retracted, it might mean Jesus. Because if you say sausage backwards, it sounds like Jesus. Oh, my God. Oh. How do people get these? See, the thing, they're so, they're so mental, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of like been a lot of writing they've been around since the 1920s um, cryptic crosswords and for the first sort of like couple of decades that they were you know becoming popular there was a lot of people writing um, in really really furious ways that um, a cryptic crossword should be able to be logically figured out and it, you shouldn't have to take all these like leaps and go, and like you shouldn't have to try and assume a stranger's identity in order to figure it out like it should have a signifier, so the thing that you're trying to like figure out, mm. something that describes that signifier, and literally nothing else. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so. Oh, so it should be like God opposite, and the answer is Satan. Yeah, or something. Yes, exactly. But but that's it, not it, cryptic, but, that's but just more a of a puzzle. Crossword. Yeah. So um, a devilish silk, satin, Satan. That that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good at you're, me. you're I don't know. naturally good at I've these. I've unlocked my potential. <laughs> yeah. All right. You'll let me be let recruited me recruited by Bletchley Park within a minute. You within... are. You're a fucking genius. <laughs> when World War Three breaks out, I'll be out at Bletchley. Come and visit me. <laughs> I'm gonna lay a few more on you just to see if you can get there. Um, number of people in a theater. Twelve letters. Uh, oh, is it an anagram of a theater? What, what? Why would you think that? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds clever. Sounds My powers clever. have gone. This one is more of a riddle and it's not really like a chop off some letters thing or a backwardsy thing. Audience. No. The answer is anaesthetist because he numbs people in theatre. Oh, oh my God. See, that's ah. another popular thing within um, Crypto Crosswords is that word, words having double meanings. But how did they... Yeah, okay, a number, yeah. Yeah, so um, I got my first one by myself today. 
I was so proud. Literally, I was with my um, my friend Ella in a cafe and she was trying to teach me how to do them because I think that the, the main thing with cryptic crosswords is that they have to sort of be in your family. Like you mentioned earlier on that your granddad used to do them. So you kind of have to be used to the way of thinking yeah. Um, it's kind of a hard thing to pick up when you're older in a weird way I think yeah. it's like everything about crypto crosswords it's tr- the charming thing about them is that they're almost like a 1920s parlour game you could imagine like yeah. these people in suits like Evelyn Waugh standing up outside <laughs> a fireplace and drinking a gin shandy yeah. and being like well I'll give you this one boys yeah <laughs> Adults, that's jolly clever. Yeah. <laughs> Ripping good laugh. <laughs> Alan, you're not playing. You always get them too fast. <laughs> oh, my God. Alan, go and do the dishes or something. <laughs> Make yourself useful. Oh, sorry. Um, I, we're distracting from the one I figured out by myself today. Oh, yeah. oh sorry, yeah. Um, your moment to shine. This is more like an anagram one. So, collection of documents found to be dodgy, i.e. dross. Is it an an is it an anagram of I E dross? It is because the found to be is like you'll find the answer within these letters. Dossier, oh. exactly. Oh. Isn't it amazing, guys? They're 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 so bloody charming. I hate them, but they're charming. <laughs> I'm totally gonna do the try and get into them. Mate, now. I think you absolutely should. Um, and there was like I found this really really moving story as I was um going through all of this. So, um, people who create crypto crosswords and crossword makers in general um, tend to go by uh, pseudonyms um, they're rarely ever known by the public it's generally one word and one of them was this man called Ara- I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly Aracaria okay so he would sign all of his um crosswords Aracaria he was actually this um man called John Graham he was a vicar um but what he had been doing uh his puzzles for years and years and years. They were serialised among many newspapers. Yeah. And uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. And he revealed to his audience that he had cancer. Oh. Via, like, like literally, it had, a, it had like a narrative that was, um, Aracuria has 18 down of the 19, which is being treated with 13 and 15. And the answers were 18 was cancer, 19 was esophagus, 13 and 15 was palliative care. Oh. Like, and he literally, the entire puzzle was like Macmillan nurse, chemotherapy, sunset. Oh, oh my God. Isn't that amazing? Sad, but he announced, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like he literally like, and that's what, what actually is really compelling about the whole cryptic crossword movement. Because I was reading this, um, uh, sort of first person article about like why they love them and they say that like uh, you know a normal crossword is just like oh word association essentially yeah. but a cryptic crossword it's essentially a conversation it's a battle of wits between the person who's solving it and the person yeah, who's written it that's such a good way of describing uh, it so like for over years and years and years so many people had like an intimate relationship with this guy's mind well never knowing who he was or what his yeah. name was just this vicar living in fucking nowhere and he like he had a relationship with these people and that's how he told them that he was not going to be around anymore like it's the most moving thing you've ever heard in your life that's amazing where is the film of this I know yeah. where is the film where is Benedict Cumberbatch so a thing for him as well isn't it yeah little indoors English man who just loves puzzles <laughs> yeah it's like um, that, that Simpsons quote it's like Lisa who do you have a crush on his name is Landon Olger <laughs> who's I don't know him nobody does he's very quiet he likes puzzles <laughs> That's Benedict Cumberbatch. Landon Olger. Okay, give us a couple more. 
And then we'll move on. Okay. Um, let me find a good one. Because the public need me, quite frankly. <laughs> they do. Okay, this one's a double definition one. So they give... Um, the, the clues have two meanings and they give a different answer, right? So, alarming disclosure of beauty. Nine letters. Siren something? No, but I would see how you get there. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good one. You're close enough. You're in the right ballpark. Bombshell. Oh. oh. Not often we get dead air on a podcast. That's what people, <laughs> that's what people are listening to the ads for now, for the lately yeah. dead air. <laughs> All right, one more. This one's quite sweet and it's um, quite topical for the season just passed. Okay. Uh, they lead the way in the present transport system. Eight letters. Present transport system. I know, that's system. what I'm thinking. Elves or something. They lead the way. Reindeer. Reindeer! Yay! You got your first one! Cryptic. And so proud. Yeah, and uh, that's basically it, lads. That is so interesting. I can't wait I to go home and do a cryptic crossword. I know. That might be the next the next big thing amongst uh, millennials. Yeah, no like Sudoku. a few years ago it was like knitting and craft and now it's going to be like standing up by the fireplace with Evelyn Waugh being like, oh, Alan, yeah. Yeah. you always get it too quickly. <laughs> I can so picture that happening and everyone would be like, have you done one of Caroline's yet? Have you done one of Caroline's <laughs> riddle nights? Yeah. I've had riddled nights, but not riddled. <laughs> you do think like a cryptic crossword person. That sounded like one, like riddle night, Alex in. <laughs> so it's January, Christmas has happened. Uh, you didn't know what to get your mum, so you threw money at the problem. And then your friends made you go to a horrible pub for New Year. Uh, and now you're just so miserable, you buy expensive lunches every day to make yourself feel a tiny bit better. Yeah, that checks out, definitely. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can relate to this. This is relatable content. I think all the women everywhere are nodding and snapping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Alex, how many pounds do you have left in your bank account? Oh, when I open my online banking, it just yells at me and dissolves into ash, like when Ron got post from his mum in Harry Potter. <laughs> Caroline? Yeah, when I open my wallet, moths fly out, and even they're looking a bit trim. Worryingly mm. trim. There's nothing to eat in that big old wall. <laughs> uh, and of course, I come from old money, so I can't relate to these problems at all. But you have your own problems to deal with, like inbreeding. Oh, yes. <laughs> the butler. <laughs> He's shite at the moment, isn't he? Stealing again. Um, but how can you make your paycheck last until the end of the month? Uh, is a thing that I would ask if it mattered to me. Uh, and that's a roundabout way of saying today's smart lesson, which links very cleverly to the women who code Mixer on fintech, is how to make your money stretch to the end of the month. So what are your best tips, you paupers? Um... So I was really poor for a time before. Um, and when I was, I stopped eating lunch. I just decided between about 2012 and 2015 that nobody who sits at a desk all day deserves to eat lunch. And the only people who deserve lunch is like a miner or a farmer. Yeah, Because well they're older. outside all day and yeah. all, they're doing uh, stuff. Yeah. So I was like, um, oh, I'll just stop eating one of the meals a day and eat go-ahead bars instead. And I saved like a load of quids. Uh Lot, went down a dress size and like probably had like a low key eating disorder, but I look great. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! <laughs> I think what about um you hold one of the new tenors and I'll hold the other side and then we'll just like really really gently pull 
and hope that it stretches to the end of the month. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're like quite rubbery as well, aren't they? Yeah, Because like, yeah. yeah. I think the bigger be... the note, the more money it's worth, right? Yeah, Maybe if you hair there. dry it a bit, because it's quite plasticky, it might, it might you know. That's true, Ooh. Hannah, like gum. Leave it on the radiator for 10 minutes. That's, yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. Winston's face will melt even further than it did with age. Yeah. Um, online gambling, have we thought about that? Okay. Oh, yeah, Heather Graham is the face of Foxy Bingo now. Oh. So that means it's not nefarious or addiction peddling at all. It's Great. just a, a fun way to spend an afternoon while you get pissed while your kids are at school. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, another good um, budgeting tip is that if you turn all your um, old holy tights into scrunchies and then all your like scrunchies and hair ties, you can like um, upcycle them into condoms. And then you can turn all your old condoms into art. Ooh. Oh, I thought that was so true. Yeah, it's like a chain of events. Thing. That's good. It's yeah. like, you know, the natural order of things, but <laughs> by Martin Lewis, money-saving expert. <laughs> <laughs> Who is he? He's just a guy that loves saving money. People Caroline. love talking about him. Yeah. Um, okay, don't go out the house. You know, do a Kylie Jenner, mm. you know, under house arrest in case the papers see you slash oh, you spend yeah. any money. Mm. Um, invite all around all your pals round to play board games and then once you win tell them you were all playing for cash and demand they pay yeah. you mm. we were all playing yeah. with real money guys yeah. Monopoly That's money doesn't exist yeah the other thing is uh, put lots of water in all of your shampoos so that um, when you squish them out onto your hands it just immediately goes through your fingers and then you're reminded of losing money and you're like <laughs> I'll stop <laughs> it's going through oh, my fingers no. I genuinely thought that was just like make your shampoo last but it went so much cleverer. <laughs> gotcha there. Oh, get into um, copper as a food stuff and start eating all your one peas and two peas. Oh, they're oh, so annoying. Yeah, they're good. worth. Yeah, they're worth money, but you you never and you, you feel fuller for longer. Exactly. As well. Yeah, fuller for longer. Um, really good tip. So you know when your hairbrush gets full of your hair. Yeah. So um, take all that out. Yeah. Put it into a bowl. Give it to the birds. Right. For, they'll make a nest with it. Right. You are then in a trading partnership with the birds. <laughs> <laughs> and they will bring you good They will bring you... Because so, magpies are always nicking engagement rings in that. Oh. You'll, you'll... Oh, yeah. You'll be in a trade relationship. You're some sort of like Dick Van Dyke Mary Poppins modern hybrid. Yeah, I mean, it's not worked yet, but like I'm not doing anything with the hair anyway. I might as well yeah. just keep giving it to birds and hoping that it pays off. Or very, very gradually... Pick out each strand, lay it straight, lay it next to the other ones. Just keep doing it for your whole life. <laughs> and then eventually you'll have some kind of multicoloured string of hair that you can sell to a wig company like oh. Joe and Little Women. Um, oh, do a good deed for charity mm. because, yes, sure, that's not paid. But if karma is anything to go by, on your way home, you'll find a stack of 20s on the floor. Yes, oh. rely on karma. Yeah. Well, that's plenty of great ideas for uh, how to make your money stretch to the end of the month. I hope I never have to use them. <laughs> well, that's it for this week. We're all off to steal someone's hair and sell it on the dark web. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do go over to the Apple Podcast Store, formerly known as iTunes, and rate and review this podcast. No bad things, please. We'll cry. Thank you to Harry Harris for our jingle, Gavin Day for our logo, and Soho Radio Studios for this tiny room where dreams come true. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.